listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 272. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Annika Harrison and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Hello! Hey, Sereza! Andras! Yeah! You're back! Yeah, I am. Fantastic. Andras, back, all right! <laughs> I couldn't actually work out whether you're disappointed or you're happy that I'm back, but uh, <laughs> I, I hope it's the latter. Uh, you can hope, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, we're happy. We're happy to have you. Back. So I'm. I'm sorry. I missed. I missed last week's episode. But but you did a really good job with that. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I hope all our listeners did too. While I was away, I don't remember if you mentioned why I was away. Yes, we had heard that you had gotten so bad reactions from the COVID shot that you had become a flat earth believer. That's how we summarized it. Well, let me try to sort that out a little bit because (laughs) it's something similar, but not quite. So, uh, yeah, I got my COVID vaccine. Good for you. Good for you. Uh, You know which one I got? It was AstraZeneca. So my my 5G signal is is getting stronger as we speak. Mm-hmm. It's so good. it's really cool, right? Yeah. I would need that at my school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you told us back when you were still at school, right? Yeah. <laughs> the funny thing is that all, all my friends and acquaintances had uh, warned me that serious vaccination reactions are to be expected. And uh I'm really happy to report that my reaction was very mild. Mm-hmm. I mean, good. no fever. Uh, no feeling like it's the end of the world. But some people even even went that far. Just a, a relatively mild headache and a s- little bit stronger than usual state of fatigue. Mm. <laughs> okay, well, I'm in a constant state of fatigue, so it it wasn't yeah. that easy to spot. But <laughs> that's my secret. I'm always fatigued. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Like the Hulk. <laughs> and this is something that the, you know very well, Anika, right? <laughs> As days. a young mom, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I have no idea what I would do if I became a young mom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a good thing right. that I won't anytime soon. <laughs> so the, the main reason for me to stay away well, last week was that I was coordinating the preparations for the first ever Flat Earth Award. I knew it. That the Hungarian Skeptic Society was about to give out. Oh, the Hungarian Skeptics. Oh. Yes. And the award ceremony took place on Friday on Zoom. And we live streamed it on our Facebook page. And I'm not telling you about the winner. I'm not telling you who that was, as it will be featured in the new segment. But it was a hell of a lot of work to prepare all that. Mm. And Pontus, you must know exactly what I'm talking about because you have gone through that. <laughs> but this was my first time. and But you managed. It, it worked. Technically, I mean. Only just, but yes. It, it <laughs> okay, very, very good. Right, okay. So what else? What, uh, what, what happened to you guys while I was away? Yeah, you know, you get the COVID vaccine shot, right? Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I found out today that one of my grown-up daughters... She has COVID. So, uh, yeah. So get your shots, people. This this uh, disease is uh, coming around yeah. for everybody. It's like there's a German company that's using the statement, nobody's safe until everybody's safe. And that's just how it is. Exactly. So, yeah. exactly. like, get your vaccines, people. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And uh, is that the same daughter of yours who had had it earlier last year? Or No, so it's the other one. So, they, so now it's the other yeah, one. Yeah, the first okay. one had, well, right. one of them had it in i think october november sometime and now the other one okay and uh, but i'm happy to say my mother has the first 
short. She's had that, and she will get the next one. But it, the Astra, as you know, the AstraZeneca, there's a, quite a few weeks in between, so I don't think she's due for yeah, yeah. for another five or six weeks. Uh, and I can't wait to get mine, mm. but uh, yeah. that's how it is. Yeah. Well, more on that later. I mean, vaccinations. Mm, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> Okay, what else is new? This has been a recurring topic for a number of shows. So so uh, we got some feedback over at uh, the Facebook about uh, Swedish spelling uh, of a certain word. <laughs> yes. And it's yes. spelled S-L-U-T. I have a suspicion what it means. <laughs> okay, okay. So can we tell... It? So it doesn't mean the same as in English. That we My can tell you that. My theory is that... It's related to the German word Schluss, which means the end. And I, I suspect it means sold out. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It means both in this case, in the picture that was shared, it was a, a shard of a lot of ice creams. And they were, they were all slut, 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 slut. <laughs> and that means it. Yeah. And, uh, so that means that they were out of ice cream. And it didn't mean that anything. It didn't mean what Brian said, something about licking. It has nothing to do with that. Uh, it was about uh, its sleuth. And I would want to, because I'm going to say this until the day I die, the spelling is much more logical because it's spelled sleuth and it's pronounced sleuth in English. If you would pronounce it the way the word is pronounced in English, I would spell it S-L-A-T-T. So that's how I'm... Okay, I have to correct you on the on the spelling of sleuth. Okay. Because the correct the correct spelling <laughs> would be an a U with an umlaut. We don't have that in Sweden. We do have that. We have that too, yeah. And it actually is pronounced U. Yeah, but that's L- like in like mm. in German. In German you, you have the no, same pronunciation that, for but that. But it's not right, it's Monica? not yeah. No no. Yeah. If you do that slut, in, U No it would be slut. In in Swedish that would be slut. Not slut. So there's a distinction there. Ah, I see. So you have different okay. vowels actually. <laughs> We do have uh, lots of vowels. So, people, if you want to learn a language that uh, has the right vowels that are pronounced as they are written, in Swedish. Uh, learn Hungarian, please. Oh, learn okay. Hungarian. All right. Because a U will be <laughs> U. A U with an umlaut will be U. And that's as straightforward as they come. But you will be confused with a lot of other stuff, so be warned. But... Right. <laughs> But yeah, and all right. things that always confused us are usually talked about at QED. <laughs> right. Where there are lots of languages spoken. Yeah. <laughs> well, it is a bit of an international event, isn't it? <laughs> it is, yes, it is. Although it's done by the Brits, it's it's still very international. But they, they also do talk with lots of different accents, to be honest, <laughs> because the English is not just one one language. They yeah. pronounce things differently in different parts of the country. As we said last week, two and the week before and the week before. So <laughs> yeah. let's not stick to English. No. Nope. There's a language. But uh, they just announced that they moved QED again. And um, it won't happen in 2021. As also didn't happen last year. But it will happen on February 4th to 6th, 2022. That's a hard mm-hmm. year for me to say. I'm mean, just always like 20, 22. 20, 22. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> just has so many twos. I'm just like, what? 
to. My brain can't comprehend. You just go with exaggerating every one of them and then you're better off. 20, 22. Oh, wow. That, that's what I'm talking about. That's, that's very good. That's very good. Hey, let's not distract from the big fantastic news yes. here. I mean, exactly. QED is finally back and we know when yes. it's going to happen. And have you booked next your February. trips yet? Well, yeah, next well. February in the Pic- Piccadilly Hotel <laughs> in Manchester. <laughs> <laughs> right all right okay so yeah we, we're looking forward to that and yeah let's just hope it actually will happen <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah, i would think so mm. i would think so i mean if in the uk they've come pretty far with the vaccinations maybe they won't yes. admit us foreigners but but at least i think i think there will be something happening in february and if people are confused the, the qed is the, the conference called question explore discover mm. and it is a fantastic event it used to be every year we used to go every year and for a number of years now for different reasons it hasn't happened and we can't wait to see everybody there. We uh, have at least once done a live recording of the ESP at QED in front of an audience. It was a lot of fun, a lot of people there. And it's uh, it's great to meet a lot of people there. Mm-hmm. Friends that you don't even know that you have because they've listened to the show and they don't know you, but they come up and say, hello, are you Pontus? Yeah, and it's, it's great. <laughs> And uh, yes. you, you buy them a beer and they buy you a beer and uh, you're best friends forever. And you're all drunk. But that's my personal <laughs> personal <laughs> experience. Why you should go to QED, of course, is for all the fantastic uh, lectures and the panel debates. And it's all happening in parallel. So you have to yeah. choose. Very hard at times. Yeah. Very hard choices there. Do I go to this speech or do I go to that panel debate or do I go to this other thing? And uh, but it's lovely, and of course, then you meet at the bar, and uh, it, it's great. It's great. So I'm ha- very happy that it's coming back. And QED, the name always reminds me of my math teacher. Actually, funnily enough, <laughs> mm-hmm. because when she taught us mathematical proofs, then she always wrote QED on the blackboard after it. Right, back to languages. Yes. <laughs> right. So quod erat demonstrandum. Yes. I think it is. What should Latin. have been proved or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. And of course they knew that when they, they named this conference. Yeah, that's why it's such a good name. Like it's mm-hmm. it's really cool. The name QED is almost as brilliant as the name ESP. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. We should invent something Latin what that like also For ESP. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you should go to QEDcon.org. And look at, well, at the moment, it just says the dates, but keep uh, a track on that. And when they release the tickets, please buy one or two or three yeah. for the yeah. whole family. And then, <laughs> then you will meet you there in February. Buy as much as you can afford and give away them. <laughs> <laughs> that happens. <laughs> Haley Stevens has in the past, at, at least a few times, had uh, gathered money f- to give away tickets to people who couldn't afford to go. Yeah, Which is great, because yeah. skepticism shouldn't be an elite thing that Exa- only people can afford of a certain... Exactly, but that's very thing. much the spirit of the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, it's very friendly, very, very friendly. Mm. Everybody is very, very nice. Yeah, And that's usually a student price as well, right? Yes, I think there is. A yes. student ticket, ticket price... Uh, so students can buy the tickets at a, at a discount, and there's a crash as well. So you can you can hand over Luna Anika to the <laughs> yeah. whatever staff there, mm-hmm. and you can go to the thing. So yeah, it's that, family I, I saw friendly that as well. In eighteen already, I found that really cool. 
It's really family friendly. Mm -hmm. And they even have like a room for people that are like, if, if they're overwhelmed, overwhelmed, they have like a quiet room for people. Yes. So uh -huh. it's it's just like such a cool venue and, and they plan it really well. And exactly. I had a blast in 18. So we're all looking forward to 2022, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, we are. Okay, so I think it's time for us to move on because there's a lot that we want to talk about on this episode. Yeah, we're still in the welcoming round. <laughs> yeah, not anymore because we are moving on to uh, the usual opening segment, which is This Week in Skepticism. Yes, and this week, 35 years ago, Something happened that I don't remember because I'm too young for that. Oh. There, because there was a nuclear accident in Chernobyl on the 26th of April 1986, which uh, the, the village is about 130 kilometers away from Kiev. And the accident started, as paradox as it sounds, with a safety test <clears throat> uh, <laughs> that failed spectacularly Quite. on the nuclear reactor. And it was a severe accident. And interestingly, in German, it's usually called Supergau. <laughs> Although that's the funny thing is Supergau actually doesn't mean a severe accident, but more like a defect in a nuclear reactor or something like that. But it's still used in German language. And, and if you say Supergau, everybody think of Chernobyl, but it's still used as a, hmm. yeah, as in, in, in normal language. If you, for example, angry that they don't have that, then you say, oh, that's such a Supergau. <laughs> and just to explain what Supergau stands for, because before I go on too many tangents here, <laughs> um, <laughs> Gau is ein größter anzunehmender Unfall. So the biggest to be expected accident. <laughs> and that's what we call a Supergau. It's like the super biggest to be expected accident. So it's a big bang level. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, it's a good Which, uh, description of what happened in Chernobyl, yeah, actually. I yeah, I think yeah. so too. And I think that's why the why the term still sticks, although it's not really what happened there. All right. <laughs> wow. And okay. yeah, there, there were two explosions in, in uh, Chernobyl, and which led to a radioactive cloud that uh, was especially over the Ukraine, uh, Russia and Belarus, but also a huge part of Europe. As I said before, I wasn't born at that time, <laughs> but I still remember um, tales of my older cousins who were like, oh yeah, b back then I couldn't go to the playground because my mom was afraid that and so on. Mm. There's still an exclusion zone of 30 kilometers around the explosion site. And they're even thinking about, yeah, naming... Chernobyl as a World Heritage Site. Did you hear about that? Yeah, I read about it a couple of days ago, but it, it's, I find it weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, on the one hand, it seems a bit weird because we also have this commemorating factor in there. But on the other hand, they say, like, other World Heritage Sites have either, like, very beautiful, yeah, natural beauty, like the, the Great Barrier Reef um, or Yosemite, or are a very good example for... Yeah, important human history, like the Great Wall of China, for example. Yeah, well, th that must be a, a good qualifier. Yeah, and I think for I mean... for Chernobyl, it would be rather the human history, not the not the net nature part, because it's also about an important part of a history and about people's rights and safety. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, like, I'm not, I didn't make my mind up yet about that if I find it good or bad, but it definitely is notable. Like, <laughs> Chernobyl is notable. According to Mikhail Gorbachev, it's even rumored that Chernobyl aided in bringing down the USSR more than the perestroika. That's what he says, at least. Mm. Mm. I, I think that may be true because it did undermine all 
the confidence in the Soviet administration in a very severe way. Yeah. And funnily enough, uh, right now there's also booming tourism there, like the disaster tourism, <laughs> because they opened it up. Um, I think that was 2010. They opened um, the exclusion zone up for tourists. And since then, people are going in. It's really booming because it looks so post-apocalyptic there. Every like the the little village beside it, it's frozen in time. But that but that means that uh, most of the exclusion zone must be safe to visit for a not an elongated p period of time. I mean, if it's just a short period of time, then the overall radiation dose that that yet you're exposed to doesn't go above yeah. the limit. Yeah, and they still they have this mm. sarcophagus um around the the explosion site that is still mm -hmm. keeping a lot of things in <laughs> but there's also a new study out that um, they they tested even those who lived very close to that or who were exposed to to the explosion like the um, liquidators as they called it like the ones that were there at the explosion and cleaned things up and this study looked at um, people that were exposed to the radiation and if they passed on mutations to their children and they found out that there were a lot of more cases in human thyroid cancer from the first exposure, which sadly could have been remedied by just taking iodine, which like that makes it f actually very sa sad. <laughs> but for that to happen, uh, the the info that something had happened yep. should have gone out. Exactly. But they kept it a secret for so, such a long time. Yeah. And like data was going up and everyone was like, no, why? What? Nothing happened. <laughs> yeah. Nice fireworks though, over on the hill. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, must be a coincidence. <laughs> no, but they found, as I said, more cases in human thyroid cancer from the first exposure, but they didn't find more cases of cancer or gene mutation mm -hmm. in the generations born nine months after April 1986. So that means, as they said in the study, like every generation has a bit of like some mutations, like that's just normal. <laughs> But there wasn't wasn't more mutations in the children and in Chernobyl um, and around than in Australia, the US, whatever. Like it, it was there wasn't any difference. That that means they didn't pass it on. They didn't pass uh, the cancer on. They didn't pass the mutations on. Mm -hmm. So what, like what what I draw out of that is that a nature bounces bounces back because apparently in the exclusion zone like. A lot of horses and wolves are actually thriving right now. Yeah, because all the humans disappeared. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and on the other hand, nuclear energy doesn't seem as bad as Chernobyl makes it out to be or as, as you think it is. Um, right. What do you guys think? What are you talking about? There, there must have been thousands and thousands of people who died as a result of the accident. So I, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, it's just that there wasn't, of course, Andras, and you know it. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, I think the biggest tragedy was with uh, a lot of, uh, I think it was a lot of young men that were sent into the disaster to try to fix it and to try to cover it up. And those yeah. were not briefed on what they were doing and how bad it was, how dangerous it was for them. Yeah. And they suffered, I don't know how many it was that actually died from that. There was quite a few. But I mean, if we compare this to how many people die from burning coal yeah. that we do yeah, yeah. all the time in, in Europe, in places like Poland, for instance, also in Germany, I think. Yeah. And, and <laughs> it, that's much worse. That kills tens of thousands of people every year, but we never talk about that. I don't have the numbers in my head for how many people have died as a direct effect 
of, of Chernobyl, but it is... It was less than you would think, actually. Much less than you yeah. would think. I don't want to make light of this because every death is, of course, terrible, but I would be surprised if it was more, much more than maybe a hundred. And, and maybe it's even less than that. Yeah, it, Do you it, have the numbers, Anders? I understand that the, what's really established as a number, I mean, that everyone agrees on, is just a couple of dozen people. I mean, not by just, I'm not saying that, that it's, it's not a serious thing, but it's several orders of magnitude lower than what most people make out of this whole situation. Yeah. Many people, and, and it's not their fault that it's not clearly communicated, that I think if you, you ask the average person on the street how many people died because of Chernobyl, they're going to give you an answer somewhere in the thousands yeah. or tens of thousands. Yeah. And some people still argue that that might be the case, not directly, but indirectly as a result of certain like mutations that you you already mentioned. But for example, thyroid cancer, that has a very high uh, survival rate. So it's not necessarily deadly if it's being taken care of. And obviously that's that's the most common thing that happens. Yeah. But the seriousness of it was being kept a secret for days. Yeah, and apparently it's also, obviously I'm not uh, Ida Ruysalme, for example, that you guys interviewed in uh, episode 208. Yeah. Um, so I'm not an expert in nuclear power. And, but what I read is that they also breached protocol Absolutely. in this. So this accident didn't need to happen. And there were several levels of safety yeah. that they overran. I mean, there were safety levels introduced in order for that not to happen or things like that not to happen. Yeah. And they ignored all that and they were going through with it anyway. And that's what caused it. I mean, it could have been avoided. So it's not when we take good measure of all the precautions that we have installed, that we have set up, it should not happen. That's that's one thing. The other thing is that new generation reactors can work with used nuclear fuel. So there are some radioactive elements that can still be used in reactors and used for further fission reactions. And that is how you can basically get to the level that the amount of radiation that it emits can be taken care of in much easier ways. Yeah, I think in, in, in a way that would be the best way to get rid of all the radioactive material is to burn them in this yeah. new, new kind of reactors because yeah, yeah. Oh, not just to get the energy, but just to get rid of the of the, the waste from the others. Exactly. Yeah, and I, I, I did some Googling while we were talking and the UN estimates that 50, people five zero died directly as a as a consequence of the disaster yeah, yeah. And just compare that so. to daily covered deaths right now yeah Oof. oh yeah and it's just like of course that's nothing you could should compare but i'm just saying like fifth like of course 50 people is a lot this is 50 individuals that died and that 50 families that were uh, that were grieving but uh, yeah, just compare it to coal yeah. coal deaths yeah. and i i just feel like nuclear energy is something we have, oh, people have to have a conversation about because nobody's willing to give up on energy. 
<laughs> like we all no. is, yeah we are more and more energy hungry yeah no? we need and we so. need like right now with with the pandemic like just say oh yeah just don't turn on your computer ha ha nobody can do that <laughs> and yeah. we we need energy yeah and we can't go on burning coal so that we we need to have either like super super efficient uh green energy and to invent that or we have to have a conversation about nuclear energy that's just how it is or how i see it at least right <laughs> yeah, talking about a conversation about nuclear energy, that's a good thing coming from you from that that who lives in the in Germany. Yeah. Where conversation were just basically cut off. <laughs> like, yeah. Like done, dusted, yeah. but coal for the yes. next decade. Yay. But, but, but the pro problem is, I think, there are two problems. The one is that uh, radioactivity is scary. Yes. <laughs> that, that is just Well, it's it's unknown. It's, people are very afraid of it. It's invisible. <laughs> the other is that if we want to build these second generation reactors, if we start now, I think it'll be like 20 years before we have them up and running all of them. So it is a huge investment in something that is very far away and of course people are normally very very reluctant to take uh, investments that won't pay off until such a long time so yeah it's a hard discussion to have because it's easy to say well by then by 20 if in 20 years we won't need those new reactors because by then we will probably have all the solar and the wind and the other uh, energy sources that we need so why should we do this it would be nice <laughs> but so i don't know but there's there are no guarantees. It's a hard conversation. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. And when it comes to efficiency, it's amazingly efficient. Mm. Generating heat with uh, nuclear fission, that's the way to go. And basically, the other advantage of uh, nuclear reactors that okay, you need to take care of the radiation, and you need to need to take care that everything goes smoothly, and uh, you you want to get rid of the used reactor fuel in a smart way. But when it comes to emissions. If all goes well, it doesn't emit anything else but hot water. Mm. That's everything that you have to take care of. It's better than a car. <laughs> and you're not polluting the air with anything if you're doing it well. So, yeah, that's something to consider as well. Yeah. Anyhow, we should probably consider moving on. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, hot topic. And I'll just give it back to you guys to, <laughs> to um, go to the next topic. Because I don't think we, we can solve it. We're not politicians. <laughs> We're not scientists. But yeah, let's let's just remember that Chernobyl happened this week, 35 years ago. <laughs> and the topic is still a hot topic. <laughs> it is. And why it's a, a skeptical topic is because it's full of misconceptions and misunderstandings. Yes. Yes. Correct. That's right. Well, I grew up believing that nuclear energy is like the worst uh, like we we had uh, children's books actually or like young adult books with that that talked about the dangers and there was just like a nuclear power plant exploded next to the village where this girl lives and then uh, she um, loses her parents because they are accident like Ooh. there and then she has to fend off everything on her own and of course she loses all her hair and loses her brother and blah 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 and it like super traumatizing books for children. <laughs> And the boogeyman came out of a reactor, right? Pretty much, yeah. And, wow. <laughs> and yeah, that's that's a book I grew up with. And that's what most of people think in Germany about nuclear yeah. energy. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm not very impressed by uh, German children's books. You have the Max and Moritz. <laughs> and then we, yeah. we talk, the other things we talked about last That's time. right. The one that cuts the fingers off. Oh, my yeah. freaking God. What's going on? Yeah, that's how we teach. <laughs> 
Not teaching by example, luckily, though. <laughs> mm, okay. Yeah, good. Okay. So, what's going on with the Pope, Pontus? Yes, well, so this is a sample of the news surrounding Pope Francis over the last few weeks. Uh, one is that there's an international conference on healthcare coming up. It's organized by the Vatican. Mm. Another is that Francis sent a video greeting to Joe Biden about climate change. The next one is that one of his closest allies, Cardinal Peter Turkson, last week sponsored a webinar about biodiversity. Francis has had uh, opinions on how to fight the pandemic. Last Thursday, he had a meeting with a representative of Lebanon on how to bring stability into the Middle East. So he's quite busy. So there was a quite interesting article on Crooks last week. Crooks being a website that is dedicated to cover all news uh, from a Catholic point of view, focusing, of course, on the doings of the Vatican and of Pope Francis himself. And this article points out how difficult it is to be the Pope these days, how a Pope any pope really, is expected to have an opinion on, or even the answer to, all kinds of things, or everything you can imagine, like the situation in Ukraine, American politics, refugees drowning in the Mediterranean, and even the world economic situation. These are all down-to-earth political questions, and the popes always try to position themselves as uh, big political world leaders equals to uh, presidents, kings, and prime ministers. And this article, and also the site Crooks, is very pro-pope and pro-Catholic. So it is apologetic, this article, saying that more or less give the man a chance. The expectations are unreasonable to put on one single man. You can't expect the man to be an expert in on all of these fields. So, so th I, I guess that has a point, but my conclusion is a bit different. Instead of giving Francis a break, I would say to him, what do you think you're doing? Why do you, the Pope, pretend to have all these answers to all these worldly problems? Isn't your business really religion? And I get it when it comes to Francis. He wants to be the good guy. He wants to stay relevant in a world that cares increasingly less about actual religion and more about the here and now. But really, Francis, your country is the size of a postage stamp. <laughs> and yet you pretend to be this large political leader. It's not your job, in my opinion. And you are not qualified. So my message to you, Frankie, and I know you're listening, is... You want to be the spiritual leader of a billion followers. Okay, fine, do it. Be my guest, that's your job. But keep out of the secular issues of this world. That's not a place for religious superstition. Your job is about the next world, right? This one here, the real one, is actually above your pay grade. Is it though? I think so. I mean... Isn't he the one who's supposed to be the representative of God on earth? If God is an all-knowing, all-powerful being, then uh, he should know all that too. Doesn't seem like it to me. <laughs> and I think he, he should stay where his expertise is, which is in, in uh, well, bullshit, superstitious religion. Yeah. <laughs> he, ha he has no education in, in economics. He has no education in negotiating for world peace. Uh, so just leave that alone. Yeah. 
Okay. Consider yourself poped. <laughs> poped. Consider yourself poked. poked. Mr. Pope. <laughs> we are all poked by him. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, let's uh, let's find out what's new on the COVID front. Well, first of all, it's European Immunization Week, everyone. Ah, you are living up to that, right? You you doing that? And I am. I am indeed. Yeah, good. Very good. I would if I could. Yeah. Same here. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I encourage everyone to go get your vaccines if you can. If you can. <laughs> yeah. um, there's um, Dr. Hans Kluge. Kluge? Kluge? I don't know. He's from Belgium. He's the WHO's regional director for Europe, by the way. And he said that the current situation we're in uh, with the COVID-19 vaccine rollout gives us a new hope and optimism that we can actually beat this pandemic. And uh, that is how I feel, actually, especially since I got my first jab. And the director of the European Center for Disease Prevention and Control, Andrea Amon, she seconded that, but she also emphasized how important it is to get everybody vaccinated. As she put it, as you mentioned, Annika, nobody is safe until everyone is safe. Yeah. And that's something that we can all agree with. Within the European Union, over 100 million doses have been administered, but that still only amounts to less than one-fourth of the population having received at least one jab. So we have a long way to go still. Yeah. And this is the, the, the whole thing with the vaccination is not a new concept, obviously. Only the context has changed. Vaccines save lives. We know that. Millions of them. But both officials also warned that routine immunizations should not be neglected because of all this, which is happening, unfortunately. Yes, we are struggling to roll out the vaccines at the pace we need to stop the pandemic, but, and, and, and yes, it's a challenge, but one that we need to accept and live up to and not forget how far we've come with all the other vaccine-preventable diseases. So let's all celebrate the concept of vaccination this week, one of the greatest medical interventions that people ever could come up with. Yeah. A true example of human ingenuity. So let's get on with it and keep on immunizing children as well. But about the vaccine rollout in Europe, it looks like many countries are finally catching up. Most of them show vaccination rates just slightly deviating from the EU average. Uh, which is a little bit less than 25% of the population. With only a few exceptions, Latvia and Bulgaria are apparently struggling with their rollouts. I couldn't really find out why that is, but f Serbia is doing way above the average. Hungary takes that even further, but Malta seems to be the one leaving everyone standing. Mm -hmm. Well done, Malta. But let's not forget that Malta's population is less than half a million, so it's a little bit different of a task <laughs> to, to get everyone vaccinated than a country with, with 80 million people. But I hear there are even people going to Malta just to get vaccinated. Yeah, that's... There's vaccine tourism. Vaccine tourism is a thing now mm. that's that's correct and not only in malta actually it's happening in serbia as well mm -hmm. because both serbia and hungary have taken up the chinese sinopharm and the russian sputnik v so that means that they have enough supplies of vaccines to give to people well speaking of which this is exactly the reason that we are getting to the point in Hungary, for example, where the rollout is not hindered by an insufficient supply of vaccine doses, but unfortunately more because of vaccine hesitancy. And the latest move by the government is only giving fuel to that sentiment that people are not trusting the system. 
So let me give you a context first. The Hungarian government gave emergency authorization to both, well, let's let's call them the Eastern vaccines, (laughs) which they could do out of consideration for the special COVID situation. So let's just be clear, the EMA has still not approved either of them. Now, this is supposed to give us an edge on the rest of Europe. That's the aim. But people have grown so distrustful of the government, I mean, Viktor Orban's government, that they are either completely unwilling to vaccinate or they want to, but on the condition that it's neither Sinopharm nor Sputnik. <laughs> Basically, since the hubbub around it, you can also add AstraZeneca to that list too. Just just saying. So Orban's government is in trouble at the moment because there's that whole lot of vaccines and people are not willing to take them. So they decided to do what they do best, try to steer the public opinion by publishing misleading information. That's what they're experts in. <laughs> the other day, a chart came out on the Facebook page of the government's COVID communication center that showed how many people got sick with COVID and how many died after having received both doses of either of the five vaccines now available in Hungary. So uh, Sputnik, Sinopharm, AstraZeneca, Pfizer and Moderna. Of course, the numbers showed Sinopharm, Sputnik and Astra performing way better than any of the others. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> because they want to convince you to take those. Exactly. But several experts pointed out in public right away that, that they, they just simply didn't provide any context. I mean, the government. There was no indication of either the source of the information or at least what the variables might have been that they could have controlled for, like age distribution, whether people suffered from any chronic diseases who who got sick or died, because which vaccine is administered to people varies according to those conditions too. Also, Pfizer has been around for much longer than the Eastern ones. That could have an effect as well. So nothing, just throwing the numbers out there, adding to the already existing strong distrust. So even our organization, the Hungarian uh, skeptics, felt that we could not stay silent about this. And we reported that the things added a a couple of comments. But normally we are always trying to keep away from politics. But this time we we just couldn't. The moral of the story, children, (laughs) don't trust anyone who throws numbers at you to convince you, but doesn't give you the source and the context. Right. <laughs> By the way, and this this is really I would say funny, but it's not really. The numbers on the chart look amazingly similar to some published by the official Sputnik V account where they claimed that a Sputnik study showed much higher numbers of death after Pfizer and Astra shots than after Sputnik. Mm. So, it's something that is being spread around by the developers of Sputnik V. And who on earth would not trust the Twitter account of a Russian state-influenced vaccine developer, right? Ah. So, of Ah. course we all trust them. (laughs) More about that later, I can tell you. Of course. So, one thing is for sure. 57 countries have authorized the Sputnik vaccine so far. And the results are slowly but surely coming in. And those indicate that it's probably worth having it around. So, I'm not saying that it should not be used. But these are very fishy things to have around when you want people to take up the vaccine. But I have to say that both France and Germany are considering introducing it once it gets the green light from the EMA. When that happens, if at all, is yet to be seen. And to finish the update on something else, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine 
has been assessed by PRAC, um, the EMA's body for for vaccine safety, and uh, they have found that Johnson & Johnson is actually responsible for similar very 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 rare clotting of incidents as the AstraZeneca thing in young people but according to the EU health officials the verdict is the same the benefits still outweigh the risks and by far right and if yes. that wasn't enough <laughs> officials in Israel are examining heart inflammation cases in people who receive Pfizer. Ah, so I heard that, actually. That's just crazy. So I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but I wouldn't be surprised if these were concerns raised by competitors against each other. So, But I don't know what to think anymore. No, but again, more about that later. Yeah. But before we leave the, the COVID-19 update, I want to say also that The Economist has a very nice interactive chart over Europe, Mm -hmm. uh, which shows which regions are hit how hard by the pandemic. So it's not about vaccines, but how how many people get infected and and the number of deaths. So some countries don't report COVID infections by regions. They just report it from the whole country, like Hungary does, Mm -hmm. actually. But I I want to mention it anyway. It's a a very good chart. It's interesting to look at. Uh, Unfortunately, Sweden isn't doing too well at the moment. 13 out of the 15 worst regions when it comes to infection rates uh, as of 19th of April uh, were Swedish. So uh, from this point of view, Sweden is doing worse in the EU. Uh, That's not good, of course. Um, Sweden isn't doing very badly when it comes to deaths, thankfully. Mm -hmm. Those numbers are about the same average as... uh, the rest of Europe. So one way to to look at this is, well, the number of infections reflects the number of tests you're doing. So maybe, I'm I'm not saying that, but maybe we're very good at doing tests in Sweden. We do more tests than than other countries, but I I have no reason to to know that. It's just a a speculation. Mm. But have you looked at the graph? It's really very uh, interesting. And, And if you look at cases, there are three, uh, and we will put the links in the show notes, but there are three views here. One is cases for the last seven days, and that is where Sweden is doing really, really bad. Then you can look at deaths over the last seven days, and then Poland is absolutely overrepresented, uh, and Hungary is also very badly uh, represented in that view. And then you can also switch to deaths total uh, from COVID-19. And then you see the effects from last year as as well. So you see north of Italy, you see Belgium, Spain, UK, and they all shoot up uh, very highly in, in in this shot. But if you want to look at it and you can see your particular area of Europe and how, how you're doing, it's an interesting graph. Mm. Uh, of course... Annika, uh, as before, since Germany does not report deaths per uh, region, Germany is just a sort of white yeah. area on, on this graph. So there is, as always with statistics, <laughs> the, the graphs are not better than the data you put in. That's always a problem. <laughs> yeah, uh, you, know, you know what happened here in Hungary? I think it was around the day... When we reached the top of the chart in terms of uh, death per million inhabitants mm-hmm. of the world, 
actually. I would say congratulations, but that's not in... in uh, yeah, that's... heartfelt congratulations to Orban's government. And uh, mm-hmm. they started opening up. So last weekend, they uh, allowed open terraces. In, in restaurants, you mean? Or? Was in restaurants, in restaurants. Yeah, open yeah, terraces yeah. of restaurants, bars, pubs, and everything. Mm-hmm. They all opened up on Saturday. It was a beautiful day. Imagine what happened. Everything was full of people. I mean... People were sitting on the floor of the terraces, the outside terraces, and it was like like a large festival, but not in one place, in hundreds of places all across the country. So this is their idea of handling the pandemic, and that is outrageous. And the other thing, that once you get your vaccine, the first shot, they issue an ID card that says proof of immunity, Mm -hmm. and they issue it Right after you got your first shot. Huh. Which is when it hasn't had time to exactly. make an, have an effect yet. Yeah. A week after your first shot, you get your proof of immunity. Mm-hmm. Ridiculous. Doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I have a feeling that there might be a couple of more COVID-related news items. I think you're right, Andros, because uh, the first news item I'm going to talk about is whether there is or has been a disinformation campaign against AstraZeneca and its COVID vaccine. Uh, And the topic has come up again this time in a study which was sent to us by our friend Bob in Spain. We should probably give Bob some sort of official title soon. He sends us stuff all the time. Very good. So keep it coming, Bob. We appreciate it very much. Field researcher. (laughs) Yes. He's uh, the the ESP's Visto Tutti. That's right. So if you don't get that reference, you don't listen to the SGU. Yes, that's right. And if you don't know what the SGU is, then I can't help you. (laughs) Stop, drop and listen. Right. So, so he sent us a link to a study, and uh, uh, this study, which is not yet peer-reviewed, uh, so that should be kept in mind, but it's called AstraZeneca Vaccine Disinformation on Twitter. That's the name of the, the study. And the, the researchers in this study have looked at over 5,000 tweets that mentioned AstraZeneca. They were looking for the hashtag AstraZeneca thing on Twitter. And they say um, in, uh, and I quote from the study, we found that the news most common in the frequently retweeted tweets abound in the negative information. And in many cases, some from media sources well known for disinformation. Also, we found that RT, uh, a Russian state-sponsored news website, as well as Al Arabia, uh, a Saudi-owned news uh, website, were frequently retweeted with information about the vaccine. And then they say a little further down in the summary, our results show that Twitter discourse about hashtag AstraZeneca is filled with disinformation and bad press and may be distributed not only organically by anti-vaxxer activists, but also systematically by professional sources, end quote. So, so that sort of links into what we've talked before. I'm not surprised. And, and there are interests out there who, who want to discredit COVID vaccination in general, but also certain vaccines. And it's not just anti-vaxxers. You, you have Russia, you, they have their own Sputnik vaccine that they want to market for political reasons and for maybe for monetary reasons as well. But I should also say that at the same time, 
This study didn't compare the hashtag AstraZeneca with hashtag Pfizer or hashtag Moderna. So it doesn't really say much. They have found that there's a lot of disinformation retweeted by, uh, around AstraZeneca by Russia and others, but they haven't actually compared it to how much disinformation is retweeted by, uh, about the other vaccines. So we'll see, but it, I'm sure it, it's not strange in a way. If there are already bad information out there or negative information out there, of course, people who profit from that will retweet that. That that's how the world works. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't mean that all the negative news are bullshit. It just means that there are interests in in making sure that you hear about this uh, negative information. Mm. Yeah, and something that had to do with negative information in Germany <laughs> too was a campaign that really earned a shitstorm <laughs> last week, and that is hashtag. Alles dicht machen, which pretty much translates to close up everything. Okay. <laughs> or close everything down. Okay, close everything down. Good. Yeah. And it was a campaign where more than 50 German actors recorded videos, satirical videos, and published them on YouTube and Instagram. And I'll just give you a few names, but you might not know them. <laughs> because people like Jan-Josef Liefers, Heike Makatsch, or Ulrike Volkertz <laughs> recorded videos and they mocked COVID measures with their, like there. That earned a lot of criticism. It wasn't like it wasn't really humorous of course that's subjective but usually satire is used to point out flaws in an oppressive system for example but for a lot of people this just felt more like mocking the severity of the pandemic or mocking even covid deaths and it's felt like they would uh, destabilize the trust in the government even further which is a hard thing right now anyways with us especially because they received praise by the AFD, the right-wing party, and by conspiracy theorists like the Querdenker. <laughs> and that's something like you don't want to get, or mm -hmm. like at least I subjectively never want to get praise from, <laughs> from conspiracy theorists, for example. And um, some of the actors already distanced themselves from these videos now because of the shitstorm they earned. And even the president of the German um, stage union, the Deutsche Bühnenverein, <laughs> and the Schauspielverband, the Actors Guild, uh, also distanced himself, although he wasn't even in the video, to just make it really clear that they don't want to work with any right-wing parties or any conspiracy theorists. So maybe they they just didn't think about the repercussions of this these videos and just thought like, hey, maybe we should have a conversation about the COVID measures. <laughs> Um, that it just had a different echo than they um, intended. <laughs> I don't know why it is with with actors and uh, famous people in general that they ha they think that they have to communicate their sort of, well, quote-unquote insight <laughs> into topics that they have no reason to be uh, experts in. Yeah, I'm just thinking of like Gwyneth Paltrow, for example, right? <laughs> Comes to mind, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if it would only be like stage actors, I could understand that because stage actors right now have it very harsh in Germany. Like, they don't have a job. Yeah, right I now. think it's all over the world. But it was usually mostly TV actors, mm -hmm. and 
So <laughs> yeah, that's strange because I I think TV is still yeah. on right in Germany. Yeah, they just test and and then they still record stuff. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was I was on TV today. I mean, I was in a TV studio Ooh. and uh, I got tested. <laughs> Ooh, I got tested. My first ever oui. nasal swab uh-huh. test that that I I had. It was a, a live rap- on air. I a hope rapid test. No, but it was very unpleasant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good. We have rapid tests here in the supermarkets now. Do you do you guys have that too? No, 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 no. Mm, no, I don't think so. But Andras, please tell us what what did you do on television? I was debating homeopaths. Ah, oh yeah. Did you win? I don't know, but uh, <laughs> they told me I was very kind and very nice to them, and uh, so you failed. And. <laughs> no, well, not, not, not no, necessarily. No, I'm kidding. I mean, of course, I I didn't mean to be a dick. No, that's right. I just wanted to, I, but I don't know if the message got through. And it it was just a recording, so then it's going to be on air in two weeks. Oh, interesting. Nice. We've talked about a lot of uh, things here that are misinformation, disinformation about uh, vaccines and about COVID and stuff. But there's also real information which is bad about vaccines and i'll tell you about one of those the demand for vaccines are starting to be you know everybody wants to get vaccinated right but that also attracts some bad actors and not just the actors on tv in 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 germany (laughs) uh, because there are people who want to make money out of this so pfizer has now confirmed that fake Pfizer vaccines have popped up in Poland and also in Mexico. And that's really bad news. Counterfeit doses were seized by authorities in separate investigations in these two countries. About 80 people in a clinic in Mexico, I I know that's outside of Europe, but still, they received a fake version of the drug, actually being vaccinated by something that wasn't a vaccine. Uh, It appears to have been physically harmless, but uh, also totally ineffective uh, against COVID. And it just said Pfizer on on the bottle there, on the vial. The fake vaccines were then uh, detected by uh, cyber police. They have that in Mexico. And um, they looked at uh, social networks and they found that people were prepared to pay up to 2,500 US dollars for a shot. And of course, that led to a lot of people being arrested. In Poland, let's stick to Europe here, the authorities said that no one had, as they, as far as they knew, no one had received any counterfeit doses, but they were found at the man's apartment. And Pfizer said when they analyzed the substance in these vials, they were believed to be an anti-wrinkle treatment. Yes. And we all know those doesn't work either. So that's pretty interesting. (laughs) (laughs) So, but we're laughing here, but this is serious. If people are starting to sell whatever compound they find and just put Pfizer on it and and want to have 2,500 US dollars for a, a dose and people get injected with those, God knows what will happen. And we don't believe in God, but nobody knows what will happen. Not even Pope Francis. <laughs> Not even Pope Francis. He hasn't got a clue. <laughs> I think he's talking to God all the time and uh, uh, never gets God never answers. <laughs> no, never. No. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's probably preparing for the journey. <laughs> and you know, the, the thing is, just a slight diversion here. If you talk to God 
uh, and you don't get an answer, you can get frustrated. But if you start to hear voices in your head, uh, then you should be really worried. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Probably checked out, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, moving on. So I was away last week trying to prepare for the online award ceremony for of the first ever Flat Earth Award that the Hungarian Skeptic Society offered to the person or group of people who made the greatest contribution to the loss of public understanding and trust towards science and critical thinking. <laughs> now, I have to tell you that I am very proud of this, as this is the first big event our organization pulled off since I took the helm. And mm -hmm. it got quite a bit of media coverage too. So, we didn't want to be the ones nominating people, so we have decided to leave it up to our followers, who could nominate and vote on the nominees for a period of two weeks, starting on April Fool's Day. <laughs> the nominations were collected in our Facebook discussion group, and hundreds of votes were cast. Then, the list of finalists was decided by a select committee. Some nominees were disqualified, either for not having had any serious activity lately or being nominated as part of a group as well, or just not being well known enough. Because obviously we didn't want to promote every no-name idiot who wanted to be famous. Sure. We wanted people who are already well known. So we published a list of finalists, which was already picked up by some major news outlets. So that's a good start. But then... We held an award ceremony where we introduced and quote-unquote honoured... <laughs> dishonoured. Dishonoured. Almost. ...all the finalists, explaining why they were there in the first place, and then revealed who the winner was. And that was based on the votes of members of our organisation. That was how, how we decided in the final round. The nominees were all very deserving of their nominations, I, I assure you. <laughs> uh, but the winner was the group called... I was going to say that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, their name okay. translates to English as doctors and health workers for seeing clearly. Oh. Clairvoyance was involved as well, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> really? Really? <laughs> well, there are four people we called there by name. A pharmacist who's also known for being a bodybuilder and the founder of a fake political party designed to grab campaign money back in 2018. Still hasn't uh, accounted for that. A crazy rich merchant of vitamin supplements, who happens to be one of the country's greatest Scientologists as well. An MD, who's also a follower of ancient Hungarian shamanism. <laughs> and a know-it-all alternative practitioner who calls himself an expert in almost every medical field. And why they deserved this was not because of all that I've mentioned, but uh, for their claims that the pandemic is, uh, and I quote, a political common cold, mm -hmm. end quote. That's all about mass hysteria. They are also against COVID vaccines, and they claim wearing masks doesn't do any good, but it does a lot of harm. So all bullshit yeah. and dangerous bullshit. And the award was reported by almost every major news outlet of the country. And for a day, it was a really, really a hot topic nice. in Hungary. So I'm very proud of that. And uh, we are expecting something else to happen soon. We are actually preparing for a public debate with them. Because a couple of months ago, we published an article with the debunking of all their claims, something that they've never answered to. And now, when we announced who the finalists were, uh, they got pissed off and they uh, invited us 
to a meeting, obviously a public debate of some sort. And I replied with a video message that we're not going to go and sit next to you when you are denying this whole pandemic and you're not going to be wearing masks and, and all that. And said that we are open to a debate if we we all meet all the conditions. And uh, today, the television that where, where I was uh, debating homeopaths, they proposed... A debate. They want to organize a debate between us. So Oh nice. Keep us posted. We'll, we'll see what, what happens. I'll let you know how it goes. I'm thinking with all the nominees you had there, I mean you could only give the, the, the prize to one, right? But yeah. you had all these nominees. You should have a not just a flat earth but you should have a flat moon your flat sun a flat mars award as well just <laughs> that's to, a cool idea yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like sailor moon <laughs> yeah <laughs> sailor jupiter <laughs> there were 23 nominees altogether in the first round mm-hmm. wow which is absolutely amazing tell something about the state and <laughs> that hungry exactly and how active our follower base is which is quite good. Yeah. That's great. It's really cool. Great. Um, I've got an, uh, a very cool nominee and nomination too mm-hmm. because uh, Anthroblogger Oliver Rautenberg is nominated for a Grimme Online Award, which is, which is a very prestigious prize in Germany. He uh, blogs about anthroposophy and the woo connected mm-hmm. to that. And yeah, he's nominated for that. The award is awarded to people that do um, qualitative uh publications like very very high quality publications on the internet and yeah we're trying to get oliver rautenberg on the show or we have been trying for the last half year so um we'll keep on doing that and maybe when he's on the show you can then tell us something about this award right (laughs) and the golden blogger the golden blogger award will also be uh, awarded soon um the nomination was up until two days ago and the uh, science podcast Methodisch Incorrect is also nominated. And Methodisch Incorrect is a science podcast, but they're very close to um, skeptic topics too. So that would be a great um, award for them too. So let's keep our fingers <laughs> crossed <laughs> because we know that fingers crossing will yeah, work. Yeah. <laughs> As good skeptics, we, we have to believe that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. <laughs> so uh, to finish on uh i'd like to bring in a different topic there's an old question how can we make science and indeed understanding the world more appealing to young people there's the information deficit model that seems to be a favorite of many in our skeptical communities but it has been shown not to provide us with an actual solution to that problem so that doesn't mean that people uh, who get more information about stuff will be less of a believer in conspiracy theories or absolute idiotic, uh, absolutely uh, idiotic uh, belief systems. It doesn't work like that. Researchers at the University of Cambridge and Edinburgh have gathered a lot of case studies and some statistical data to show that a complex understanding of the world may have huge benefits in tackling things like like uh, climate change or or things that that concern the the whole of humanity. What, what do I mean by, by complex understanding? It's uh, that complex approach is similar to that of polymath, like Leonardo da Vinci, who can be considered a scientist, an artist, a designer, and an engineer. And we all, we, I think we can all agree that the era of polymath is over. 
So we cannot be experts in so many fields anymore, but we probably shouldn't. And instead of pushing for STEM, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, instead we should probably go for STEAM and add arts to that. Because arts tend to touch on stuff that we feel much stronger about. And I think, as skeptics, we shouldn't talk much about intuition, but I think we've all come across that problem. Especially when we try to communicate the scientific method and how science is the way to go forward in understanding the world. As long as we can not touch on people's feelings and not make them possible to feel the problems, the issues that we want to tackle, it's impossible to get to them. It's impossible to get their attention because they're just just not going to listen to you. So when we are allowed to experience feelings and our our feelings are being acknowledged, that's when we are much more likely to act out of motivation. And uh, this is a thing to consider for skeptics, I think. And uh, it's worth uh, having a look at uh, that study where they published all those case studies and uh, statistical data that they've they've gathered. What do you think of that? No, I'm all for it. I I think uh, we should broaden our our view as much as we can as you say we can't be leonardo da vinci anymore because that's right each discipline is now so complex and so deep you can't be an expert on all of that but it i i think merging or, or cross fertilization between different yeah. disciplines i i believe is is very very helpful yeah yeah and i think it's also important to show the real life implications and the cross references between things because i had that in school and uh, a lot of my students have it too where they just like they don't know why it's important that they're learning that and mm-hmm. and um i found it like really really cool to to notice that like pretty much if you have physics but you look at other other parts of that then you have chemistry and yes mm-hmm. chemistry and yeah. you zoom out and then you have biology for example <laughs> you know what i mean or like you have biology, you zoom in, and then you have chemistry all of a sudden. Yeah, and exactly to cross-reference that and to just show them that like, hey, a lot of that is actually connected. Mm-hmm. Just makes it so much more fun and exciting to learn. It makes much more sense to remember it too. Right. So and you need math exactly. to understand exactly, it all yeah. anyway. So so yeah, yeah. that's right. That's pretty much like the booting system of the whole thing, isn't it? And and you need stories. Like the, yeah. And one yeah. misconception I think is that in order to bring up people much more able to uh, think critically, you need STEM and and you need all the science knowledge and all that. But it it doesn't bring that about if the interest is not there, if the stories are not there, because we are people, we are humans, we we are drawn to stories. Yeah. And one of my favorite books ever written was by a Hungarian author. He was a physicist. He was a legendary physicist and a legendary teacher of physics at the mo- one of the most prestigious universities of Hungary. Actually, he he was a lecturer to my dad, which was I wasn't there, but I feel quite excited about. It. And he wrote a book with the title The Cultural History of Physics. And that is how he brings together the science and the stories of people and how the different ideas developed and how they came about and how people struggled to get the message through. And that's when it becomes appealing. That's how you can connect to it. So 
Yeah, that's also what like Holm Himmler always says. That's why conspiracy theories are so um, successful because they tell good stories. Exactly. So um, we are not good at storytelling. Yeah, we we have to <laughs> we have to pretty much have to be a well educated, well rounded educated person in a way to teach critical thinking. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. All right, so. That's uh, about all the news that we wanted to share with our listeners this week. So we are moving on to finding out who's been really wrong lately. Okay, so really wrong. Did you hear last year something about smoking would be beneficial against COVID? Yes, I remember huh? that. There was some some talk about that, right? Sounds so counterintuitive. <laughs> it did, but uh, it was out there. So it made the rounds in the news, and I don't think it got a lot of credibility at the time. It just sounded like um, the opposite of what you would expect, since COVID patients very often have trouble breathing. It just sounded strange, and I think uh, it sort of went away again because of that. But... There was a real study published about it. I think it was in August. And uh, perhaps you could construe some sort of plausibility around it if, if the smoke actually uh, created a hostile environment for the virus so that uh, you couldn't get infected as easily. Uh, maybe something like that. Or maybe you could get a milder version of the disease because the virus didn't like the smoke <laughs> I, I don't know maybe <laughs> but uh, wouldn't you know it this study has now been retracted and why is that it's rubbish <laughs> <laughs> just because the authors failed to disclose financial ties to the tobacco industry oh my whoa <laughs> fuck that so of course the tobacco industry for decades and decades spread lies and misinformation about smoking causing lung cancer we all know that that is such a rookie thing to do <laughs> not disclosing that <laughs> yes but the tobacco industry knew already back in the 50s and i think maybe even before that that uh, uh, smoking wasn't good for you Hmm. Uh, but they had this campaign and it was incredibly successful in discrediting experts and and uh, I'm, I'm sure that campaign must actually be responsible for at least, I, I, well I'm guessing now, but probably millions of deaths in, in lung cancer because they said no, no, it's, it's fine, it's even healthy to smoke was one of the messages they had. Uh, it was, in fact, it was so successful that a lot of the people who were behind that campaign were later recruited into the by the fossil fuel industry to pull off the same stunt when it came to climate change denial. Yeah, uh, and that is working too, unfortunately. So it seems that the tobacco industry that has admitted to covering up the truth about lung cancer and also has paid i believe billions of dollars in damages for it they are still at it today trying to pay for fake science to promote smoking so i guess some things never change but now this uh, uh study has been retracted as it should be and uh, hopefully nobody believes anymore that uh, you could prevent covid by smoking and please don't even try yeah it's <laughs> No, no, no. <laughs> that reminds me of this uh, statement. 
I don't know. It's, it's like one of the hippie statements. It's um, fighting for peace is like fucking for virginity. <laughs> <laughs> and this reminds me so much of like smoking for against COVID. It's just like <laughs> same, same uh, yeah, yeah. level. <laughs> right, right. I've never heard that, but I love it. That's, that's <laughs> Okay, so for producing fake science, trying to get people to smoke as a protection quote-unquote for COVID-19 the tobacco industry and their lackeys who wrote this study and tried to hide their connection they all get today's prize for being really wrong I'm glad they got caught yeah again well deserved yeah all right so thank you very much and that concludes our show but before we go I'd like to share a quote with you And that quote is from someone who celebrates uh, his birthday. Oh, but he doesn't really because he's... He's dead, yeah. He's been <laughs> dead, dead, dead for a while. But that's Karl Friedrich Gauss. Sehr gut. <laughs> Sehr gut. He was born on the 30th of April, 1777. And uh, he was a giant figure of mathematics. He's the giant that other mathematics are um, on the shoulder on, so to say. <laughs> exactly. And what he said was... Among many things. There are problems to whose solution I would attach an infinitely greater importance than to those of mathematics. For example, touching ethics, or our relation to God, or concerning our destiny and our future. But their solution lies wholly beyond us and completely outside the province of science. True. Right. True. Yeah. Yeah. With 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 one exception. It's like, of course, we would all like to solve things, but we can't. So we yeah. just focus on that what we can. <laughs> I I have to uh, slightly differ from that because when it comes to our future, think about climate change, think about pollution and all that. I think there is a lot that science can say about it, but back in his time, it was understandable that he thought that way. Yeah, if you think in terms of destiny, that yeah. everything is pre-determined yeah. somehow, then of course he's right. But we believe or we know now that we can actually change our future by taking good decisions. And and that's uh, and those should be based on science. Yeah. And maths. <laughs> like I was more taking his quote in the regards of like, you can't skip steps also like you you uh yeah you can't invent a car before you invented the steam engine or so you know what i mean mm -hmm. yeah you have to have go all the steps and then you can grow from that mm -hmm. that's right that's right yes you build on previous <laughs> experience and, and knowledge that's how yeah, progress right. works hey before we go there's something that happened today that we should acknowledge which is uh, sad but uh, not European, actually. But we talked about space, and we do talk about space sometimes. Today, um, uh, there was an announcement that Michael Collins died. Yeah. The astronaut who never reached the moon because he was on the Apollo 11, but he was the guy in, the, in, in orbit around the moon while Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong was down on, on the surface. Oh, yeah. So he went almost all the way to the moon, a uh, great achievement and a great, in a way, sacrifice to be all so close but not there. Yeah. And uh, today he died and he had a very good life, uh, a long life as well. So uh, he was 90 years old and he did something very good for 
all of humankind. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Rest in peace. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Let's uh, let's all try to do something for humankind, but not this week. That has been all that we could do this week uh, for humankind. You don't have to all fly to the moon. <laughs> uh, I'd like to thank both of you, Anika and Pontus, for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Many thanks to our listeners as well for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye. Tschüss. Hello. Wisla. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Shrub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe Yep, it's you, Antosh. You couldn't even remember what the phrase was. You probably insulted the squirrel ah, there. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. Huh? Okay. You've been away too, for too long. Okay. It was too long ago. It was too long ago. I, yes. I forgot yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, just watch me. How I, I totally get mixed up with, uh, with the intro. Yeah, yeah. By anti-vaxxer activist. By anti-vaxxer activist. <laughs>